Welcome to All the Social Ladies, a podcast bringing you candid conversations with the boldest women in digital marketing. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and let's get into the show. Hi, everyone. Today, I am so excited to be talking to Sasha Abraham, who's a marketing director at the NFL. I love this interview because you're going to hear how the league is growing its fan base by creating authentic content that truly resonates with younger audiences, including an amazing collaboration with comedian Keegan-Michael Key. You're going to love it. Take a listen. Welcome, Sasha, to the show. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I've learned a little bit about you before the podcast, and I'm so excited for you to tell our listeners your background. I'm interested, and of course, I start all of the podcasts with the same question. I believe you can break someone's career down and their their life down really into moments. And I'd love to know what you feel are the three moments that really help define your career. That's a great question. I think I think there are a lot of defining moments. If I had to think about three specifically, I would say the first is actually even before I started my professional career. I grew up as an athlete, and I think being an athlete teaches you certain skills that I don't think any other part of my life has taught me. And I would say it's passion, it's ambition, it's hard work, and discipline. Yes. And, and those four pieces, I think I've just taken into my life for everything else I've done. And I would say, while that's not a moment, I think it is a defining part of my career that I would definitely always recognize. Well, I'm sure that it helped shape who you became in your career, too. What what sport did you play? Tennis. Tennis. Yes. Tennis. Oh, I love tennis. I desperately want to be good at tennis because my husband is excellent and I am horrible. Do you recommend? Okay, so do you recommend for somebody who is horrible in a sport like tennis, should I keep trying? Will I get better, do you think? If I practice, I'm just Did really you enjoy natural. it. Hmm. I I would enjoy it more if I were able to actually volley the ball. <laughs> All across there do a serve. I mean, I think I did, but you know, I should do it if I enjoy it. I think so, because okay. I I'm a big believer in passion, and I feel like if you enjoy it, then it's worth putting your mind to it a little longer. Yeah, to see if you can get better, and and if it still gets you down, then move on to something else. But if you enjoy it and you don't feel like you've mastered it, I think it's worth trying your hand. And I would say that about anything, really. So It's interesting that you talk about this defining moment in playing a sport because I've heard a lot around team sports. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, oh, you learn how to be part of a team. You're a better manager if you're on a team. And yet tennis is a one-to-one or sometimes two-to-two. I think it's so interesting that you talked about the real, the passion and the desire to win and that kind of stuff that really drove you forward. Yeah, definitely. And I think I don't even realize how much of an impact it's made on me until I do something or I think something or I say something and I realize that whatever that is, is natural to me but might not be natural to somebody else. And and I'm sure others have other things that come naturally to them that don't come naturally to me. And I think those four pieces, passion, ambition, hard work, discipline, are things that a team sport or an individual sport can both give you. And, and I think that's what it really gave me. Okay, Sasha, tell me about your second moment. So my second moment was in my CPG stint. I was in General Mills, and I think what General Mills really opened my eyes to was I always knew I liked marketing, but working at General Mills exposed me to such a wide array of marketing challenges, and it really assured me that 
I am a marketer and, and that's what I want to be doing in my professional career for the rest of my life. Wow. And so when you when you came into General Mills, did you have any kind of big corporate background before or was this your first exposure to a large corporation like this? I had worked for about seven months. My first ever job in London okay. was at Tesco Stores. Yes. A huge corporation. Yes, huge. But, but not like that, General Mills. It's not, not like the General same. Mills. And I think seven months versus two plus years is, is very different. And also I was in a different stage of my life as well and older. Yes. And I think that made a difference. Yes. And so coming into a company like General Mills, there are so many opportunities to learn and see really what what you want to do and where you want to thrive. So many products that feel like you could just dig in and really understand that love of marketing. Absolutely. I think it was amazing to think about who your consumer is if you have a frozen product versus a snack versus something else altogether. And I think, I, I, A, I just loved not just who the consumer is, but also what the challenges are to be able to engage that consumer and market to that consumer. And I think my, my time at General Mills really opened my eyes to it and it was fantastic. If you're looking at somebody who is earlier in their career than you are and they're looking to get into one of these huge behemoths to learn, to grow, because it's such an incredible opportunity, what advice do you have for them? If, they, if somebody said to you, Sasha, I really want to get into a General Mills or a P&G, you know, one of these big guys, what what advice do you have for them? This is specific to marketing and I don't know if it necessarily has to be specific to a large company, but I think always keep the consumer in mind. Mm. And whatever it is, when, whether you're interviewing, whether you're preparing, whether you've gotten and you started, just remember, like, think consumer first and make sure anything you're doing is always thinking that. Of course, there are many other factors that play in, but never lose, never lose sight of that. You know what I love about that, Sasha? It actually goes beyond marketing. If you shift the narrative to don't make it about yourself and make it about them, what not just here's who I am, but here's what I can do to help you, yep. I think is the same. It's the same kind of thing. It's thinking, putting yourself in the customer's shoes and putting yourself even in the interviewer's shoes too, mm -hmm. right? Yes. That's really cool. Absolutely. Okay, third moment. Tell me. My third moment, I think, would be when I joined the NFL. I knew I loved sports. I knew I loved marketing. But I think my first year at the NFL showed me how much I enjoy enabling someone to be a sports fan or enabling somebody to become an even bigger sports fan. I think sports has given me so much joy. And I love those moments when I connect with a sport in a certain way. And for my job to be something where I'm helping someone else do that, it really put a smile on my face and, and made me realize that like, yes, this is... You know, this is what I, I want to keep doing wherever I am. But the idea and the act of it is is what I want to be doing for a long time to come. I want to know about the moment you got this job because I'm I'm just I'm sitting across from you and looking at you and I'm picturing like, okay, this woman is living her best life. Like this is she's passionate about sports. She's very clear about that from an early age. And now here she is and she gets this job. It's now three and a half years ago, right? Mm -hmm. At the NFL. Tell me about the moment you got it. I remember that day very clearly. It had been a long hiring process, and I was at that place where I, I wasn't sure if it was going to happen. I was in Minneapolis, and I, I had signed a lease for another apartment, and I had gone to pick up my keys Okay. on the first day that I was going to be moving. And I was walking back when I get a call <gasps> saying, 
saying, I got this. So it all changed in an instant. It, it all changed. And here, what did you do? You just were like, I have to get out of this lease here. Bye. See ya. I, uh, the, the way the timelines worked, yeah. I, I still needed to um, move into okay. the apartment. Okay. But, but unfortunately, and I, and I love that apartment. So it, it, was all, it was all like ironic timing. But this opportunity was something I really wanted. And Goodbye to the apartment. Hello to the dream job. And now here you are. Yes. And you're here. What's, what I think is so interesting is you have such a focus on the customer and you have such a passion for sports and you come into an organization and the way the customer interacts with sports has changed dramatically mm-hmm. over time, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So talk to me a little bit about just from your own perspective, how you've seen how customers interact with and how viewers and fans interact with sports and how they engage and how they're watching and how that's changed over time. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think one of like a key challenge in marketing is how do you engage new fans Mm -hmm. and grow your fan base without alienating your current fans and those who actually helped make you who you are? Yes. And I think if you then think of cord cutting, Mm -hmm. And you think of sports. Mm -hmm. I think that is a consumer behavior that the sports industry, you know, more so than a lot of other industries, really has to embrace and navigate to ensure sustained success. Mm -hmm. And with the NFL, if you think about how people watch live sports, we definitely have a huge set of our fans who still want to watch sports on traditional TV. Yes. At the same time, you also have the new generation who is consuming media in a different way. And I actually can think of a couple of ways that, you know, things that the NFL has done where you can see how what we're trying to do is is make sure we're engaging both sets of fans. Because you have to. Because you have because to. Because if you alienate the, quote, originals, right, the people who got you here, yes, it's, a, it's an awful feeling for everyone who has supported you through the years. Absolutely. It really feels like you're not listening to them. And yet you have this whole new generation. Absolutely. So how do you balance that? So if you think of our Thursday night football programming, we've always been on traditional TV. We still are. However, last year, for example, we also offered select games on Amazon Prime. And that's an example of making sure, you know, you're offering two different modes of viewing. And Amazon Prime has a live streaming partner, Twitch, and some games were also offered on Twitch. And the the fact that we were able to offer it on the big screen, but also the, these two other ways, to me is really, you know, trying to test how you can potentially engage a variety of consumers. I think another one is the mobile phone. Our NFL mobile app has um, last year started offering in-market games on the app. Now, I think there are a lot of people who would think, why would you want to watch a game on a, on a phone? But the new generation, unlike, you know, the current generation or the previous generation, is not as accustomed to watching everything on TV. Right. And so I think having that offering is is a way that we can start engaging them with behaviors that might be Um, what they're more interested in adopting. One thing about the younger generation that I know is true from my own experience is that they really respond to authenticity in marketing. Mm -hmm. And if it's not authentic, they know it, they feel it. And I think you guys have done a really nice job in your content of being authentic. Talk to me a little bit about 
Is that something you're thinking about? Is it important to you? What does it mean to you? Give me a little thoughts around that. Yeah, I think it's very important. I think whenever I'm working on any content, what I always ask myself is the what, the why, the who, and the how. What are you communicating? Why are you communicating it? Who are you communicating to? And how are you communicating? And I think with millennials and Gen Z, the what and the how is what has truly changed and something that you really have to pay attention to. When you think about the how, I think what brands need to recognize, and that's what I try to do you know, in any project I'm taking on, is not all messages have to come from the brand themselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are other voices that your consumer might engage with and might resonate with better than your voice. So it's more about getting the message right. And in the NFL's case, it could be NFL players. It could be NFL fans who are influencers. And I think what we have started doing is, if you think about like some of the work I had last year or I did last year, in encouraging fans to tune into games, one way of doing it is, you know, your traditional advertising and give people day-day time and, you know, absolutely I think that that will continue. But the other is collaborating with fans who could be influencers and having them narrate why they are excited for an upcoming game, what that game means to them, and sharing that story on their channels. And I think, you know, some of the work we did there was very successful because it did two things. The first is the what was Mm -hmm. very authentic because it was coming from, it it wasn't overproduced. It was coming from that influencer. And the how was again, coming from their voice. And so I think that's that's how I've been looking at trying to maintain authenticity. So it's not that you always have to have a highly produced message courtesy of the NFL. It's more like you have all of these incredible fans and they can tell the story. Yes. And I mean, sometimes different scenarios call for different things. Right. And I think there is absolutely a place and time and role for all of, all of the different pieces. It's just more identifying and accepting that there can be other ways. And sometimes it's like setting up moments and seeing what happens. One of my favorite things that you worked on was when you worked with Keegan-Michael Kay on the celebration dance skit with the Detroit Lions. I mean, that felt very authentic. Talk to me a little bit about that experience. Like, where did the idea come from? How did it happen? And give me all of it. That was such a fun one to work on. You know, when we learned that Keegan was a big Detroit Lions fan, And, you know, we saw an opportunity to collaborate with him. We felt that, you know, this is a great moment to really share a story that is authentic and relevant. And I think how it it came about was it was a year when there were, when touchdown celebration dances were, fans were loving it, players were loving it, and well after games, we found that fans were still talking about touchdown mm-hmm. celebration dances. And so Keegan played a character called Boogie Down Brown, and he was coming in as a touchdown celebrations consultant for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> and he was fantastic, great person to work with, very creative and very funny. And he worked with the players in his character on a variety of touchdown celebrations dances. And we had decided that before a specific game, we would launch a piece. 
Now, we could have launched the whole piece, but what we did was we actually launched a teaser, mm. which gave fans enough to wonder what was happening, but not necessarily know the whole story. Yes. And then we just waited and hoped things played in our favor, because <laughs> what we didn't know is, will the Lions in that game get a chance to do a touchdown celebrations dance? Right. And B, if they did, what dance would they do? Right. But it worked out great. A, they did get a chance to do it, and... It was a December game, and the dance they chose was a Rockettes touchdown celebration. So very relevant, very timely. Fabulous. And once that happened, we released a variety of other pieces. The players posted, Keegan posted, and we had a very robust distribution strategy, and, and there was great PR pickup on it as well. The thing that I like that you did, I'm, I like a lot of things that you did, but the waiting until they actually scored and did the dance— mm -hmm before releasing all of the content, made it so much more true. Yes. I'm, I'm really interested in that that concept of, of that true, authentic content coming out of the NFL. I think it's really great. Really, really great. When you're marketing, specifically on social media and digital channels, what does success look like for the NFL? What do you look for? If you, have a, you put out a piece of content, how do you know it performs well? Are you looking at reach? Are you looking at engagement? What, what represents success? I think it really varies from content to content, mm -hmm. and it varies on, like, what the goals are for that, you know. So if if it's meant to be more of a, a new fan engagement, you know, then it's probably reach. If it's meant to be engaging an avid fan, then it's probably video views or engagement rate and, and, and things like that. So I think it's hard to say there is one particular goal. It all depends on you know, what the higher goal is before we dive down into, like, what those metrics should be. And what does success look like for you personally in your career and beyond? To me, success is setting a goal, achieving it, and then challenging yourself to make that goal bigger and recognizing that you might need to constantly learn and grow and tweak and change to be able to achieve that goal. And I would say that would apply to my family life, my professional life, and just who I'd want to be as a human being. I love it. Let's head on over to the lightning round. You tell me the first thing that pops into your head, okay? Okay, here we go. What woman do you admire most in the world? There are a lot of successful women who, are, who should be admired. I think for me, it's my mom. She's incredibly kind and caring. She is intelligent. She had a very successful career of her own. And I think the other piece which really has impacted me is she and my dad both always believe that men and women are equal. And, wow. And because they operated their lives that way, the idea of gender-based roles, gender-based stereotypes, gender-based expectations was not something that ever factored in my life. I love that. What a gift. What a yes. gift your parents gave you. That's really incredible. One piece of advice you would tell your younger self? I think there's a lot of advice I could give my younger <laughs> self. But I once read this quote, and, and it really resonated with me, which was, it's supposed to be tough. If it wasn't tough, everyone would do it. The tough is what makes it great. Mm. And I really love that. And, and I think that could apply to a lot of different things. Well, Sasha, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You are one fabulous social lady. And I love, I just, I love watching you achieve 
what you set out to do. I mean, it's very clear in the, in the story that you tell and the narrative that you tell that you're really living your best life. Congrats. Thank you very much. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. That was all the social ladies. Don't miss new episodes every week. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media and author of Work It, Secrets for Success from the Boldest Women in Business. Follow me, at Carrie Kirpin, everywhere. And for more social smarts, be sure to follow Likeable, at Likeable Media. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.